WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James, and it's election season, and this year probably more than any others, there's story after story about election fraud. And yet, the headlines on major media, it's the Russians and the Iranians. I don't think so. Not saying they don't have some part, who knows. I'm just saying we don't need them for election fraud. We do that very well right here in the United States of America. It's actually alarming. And this year, more than at any time. There are groups that are our watchdogs, and some of them legal groups that fight on our behalf. One of them, the Public Interest Legal Foundation in Indianapolis, and Logan Churchwell, who is the Communication and Research Director for them, joins us. Welcome to WGN, Logan. Thank you for having me tonight. Yeah, I'm very interested in this because your website, and I've got a link at raleigh.net to publicinterestlegal.org for the uh, spelling challenge or what have you, uh, notes a number of cases, and I'm sure you don't run out of targets, that's for sure. I didn't have a chance to look at this Arizona case, but I was wondering, because the most outrageous one to me was where they said, your mail-in ballots, you want to change your mind? Just cross off your choice and write in another one. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. Did you guys weigh in on that? We did, uh, and that case has actually gone the way we wanted it to. Um, so that there are good wins going uh, around the country. You would see usually that uh, Democrat-led uh, lawsuits will um, <clears throat> kind of go the way they want and extend deadlines and take away things like uh, postmarks that are required under law. Uh, but in places like Arizona and Texas and others, uh, we are eking out wins uh, despite very well-funded efforts to try and throw this election into even further chaos. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They are well-funded and they are numerous. Uh, But again, I didn't see anything as over the top as Maricopa County when they said you could cross off your choices. Now, did anybody else do anything quite that obvious that was clearly fraud? Well, here's here's something worse, and it's more recent. Uh, And let's go to Virginia. (laughs) When COVID came, we're talking like mid-March, the lockdowns were upon us. The Virginia legislature rewrote some laws that said, look, if you vote absentee and uh, something goes wrong, let's say you're you're late, uh, post office has mistakes, whatever. If you vote absentee and you gave your ballot to the Postal Service on or before Election Day, they will accept that ballot up to three days after the election for normal counting. As long as there's a postmark that says, look, the voter beat the deadline, if only by a minute. They voted at least on election day or before. That was the law they passed in March. So we have a month-old law that has COVID completely in context. Fast forward to about a week and a half ago. The Virginia State Board of Elections, which in Virginia, if you think election systems are partisan uh, in places like Illinois or others, you, you got another thing coming when you look at Virginia. Virginia State Board said, uh, you know what, I know this law is uh, four months old mm-hmm. that says you got to have a postmark on your ballot. But if uh, a ballot shows up in that same time period, three days after the election, and there isn't a postmark, or I can't read the postmark, We'll still accept it. So a month-old law is going to be flaunted by unelected bureaucrats loyal to the governor of Virginia, a Democrat, uh, 
this 2020 election. And this is a law that they themselves lobbied for months ago, and now they're just going to disregard it. So I, I see your Maricopa County res, uh, concerns and raise you, <laughs> the whole state of Virginia. Uh, and it's going to be things like that uh, going forward. You know, right now we're in a bit of a lull. You know, you're not seeing as many creepy stories about ballots showing up, you know, in postmen's homes or, or trash cans because the ballots should essentially have gotten to where they're supposed to go to the voters. Now it's time for them to start coming back to the election office. Uh, but in that meantime, you have to be eagle-eyed on election officials to make sure that they're following their own set of rules. And in Virginia, they're not. Now, I'll, uh, I'll see you that, and let's talk Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania. 60,000 ballots not mailed. And when they got caught, of course, they said, well, it was a contractor, and never mind that this is a highly Republican county. Uh, have those people ever gotten their ballots? I believe that they were already starting to resolve that issue. And it's, it's something that you're going to see. Whenever you, you see a news story about X number of thousands of ballots showing up in a dumpster or uh, not being mailed on time, they're usually making that admission because they're having to send out the, the corrected ballots. That, that, that's how the news gets out. They, they don't, election officials don't go running to the press saying, hey, we messed up. Uh, we just thought you'd want to know that. I mean, that <laughs> kind of hurts the confidence in their system. They have to make that admission because you might get uh, a second ballot. So you might have been thought to be part of those tens of thousands uh, that did not go out in the mail on time. Uh, and then you, to get in the correction, they give you a second ballot, and you need to have known by prior news uh, coverage that, oh, they made a mistake, and you should disregard one of those ballots. Hope you pick the right one, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah, uh, the, the implications of that are startling, and that leads right into this push that we're going to mail out ballots to every registered voter. Now, I don't, in principle, have a problem necessarily with vote-by-mail, although there are certainly some precautions that should be taken. But I have a huge problem with we're sending ballots to every registered voter, especially Especially in the backdrop, and I know you saw the headlines of the study that found 353 U.S. counties in 29 states had voter registration that exceeded the population. That's right, uh, and that part of that research is our own. Uh, we do that kind of research every two years. Essentially, you crunch all the numbers between the amounts of registered voters per county or by city. So, like, the city of Chicago has its own voter roll uh, apart from Cook County, right. whereas everywhere else in Illinois, it's based by county. Chicago is unique like that. Virginia kind of has the same system. Uh, other, most states break it down the county level. But anyway, you take those county numbers, uh, total number of registered voters in the time of that most recent federal election, and you compare that against U.S. Census data, the total number of adults with a pulse in that same jurisdiction, and you calculate your rate of registration, and that's where you see these hundreds of counties uh, that have more than 100% rates of voter registration. Now that, that's a red flag. That's not fraud, but that tells you where you need to divert resources first and see why that number is high, because that is very far away from the majority of counties and cities in America with voter registration responsibilities, so, uh, so you can focus your resources. But getting to your original point, though, just throwing ballots in the mail to everyone and, say, and thinking, well, I'm, I'm being fair because I'm giving everyone a ballot. 
that, that's bad thinking. In essence, as COVID was coming, let, let's rewind the clock again back to March, April. The primaries were upon us. Uh, Bernie was still a candidate. You know, this seems like it was a lifetime ago. They, you had apologists for all-male voting. Usually they had jobs working in Washington and Oregon where they've had all-male voting for years. Going to the general public of the United States and saying, you know what, vote by mail is great. It works in Seattle. It works in Portland. And you buy all of your junk on Amazon anyway, and you get your groceries from your cell phone screen to your front porch via Walmart apps and what have you. Uh, so why not order a ballot up the same way? And, in fact, we can send one to you without even having to ask for it. Uh, how convenient is that going to be? You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go into that crummy gym and catch COVID uh, like you would have if you were going to vote in person. So you see a very small minority of people trying to cast this spell on the majority of the country that has never voted by mail before. They've always voted in person. And tell them that, oh, this is going to be so convenient, it's going to be so great. But here's the problem with that. The people that actually have to run the election and send those pieces of mail out and then hope they come back in time to be counted and we can know who's going to be the next president, etc. They don't have any experience running an election with that much volume of mail. So states like Texas, Georgia, New York, the majority of states in the union do not have that institutional experience in handling mass mail elections like Oregon and Washington and Utah, essentially. Colorado is a new member of that cohort. So you have this double-edged problem. First-time voters voting in the mail who are going to make mistakes, and those mistakes are going to be fatal as it goes to their franchise this election year. And on the other side, you have election officials that don't have the experience necessary to be working with that much volume of mail voting. And just wait for the recounts, because that's when the fun's really going to start. Oh, absolutely. Well, wait for the additional count. If there's anyone who believes those states are going to open those ballots on November 3rd and have them tidy and counted by the end of the day, uh, yeah, we've got the proverbial bridge to sell them. I'm Raleigh James, and we are talking about voter fraud, and you are going to hear more about this. And I guarantee you, for all the issues that are going to come up on November 3rd and the days that follow, election irregularities, to put it in the most positive sense are going to top that list. Yeah, you take that to the bank. Logan Churchwell is Communications and Research Director for the Public Interest Legal Foundation, and it's publicinterestlegal.org, and I've got a link at Raleigh.net. If you've got any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you at 888-876-5593. It's 8888 Raleigh on WGN Radio. We're talking to Logan Churchwell, the Communications and Research Director for the nonprofit law firm, the Public Interest Legal Foundation, about what will be the biggest issue of this election. And I don't think you need to be a psychic or even close to it to make that call. I don't think anything will trump, no pun intended, the voter 
fraud and voter, to put it kindly, uh, voter irregularities, so to speak. And so we know that states like Washington and and Colorado have embarked on this, we're going to do it all by mail. They have a certain modicum of ability to handle it, and there are still questions. But you have states like uh, like California that are huge, that, uh, as you well know, Los Angeles County alone, that could have been your lawsuit, I I don't know, Logan, but uh, the, the amount of people who were registered who were actually either dead or ineligible to vote was staggering. Uh, They have histories of having 94 people at one address in San Pedro. Has California decided they're mailing ballots to everyone? They have, uh, and they have already have a lot of experience in trying to send as many mail ballots as they can. Uh, You've seen this push in recent years to uh, push the envelope, pun intended, Uh, to get people to get under the the absentee, the permanent absentee system, where you, it's essentially an all-mail election as big as they can make it. But here's the problem, and it's not just California. It's in all of these states with these counties with bloated voter rolls uh, and then some. For years, generations, whenever you would go to an election official and say, hey, your voter registration system is a mess. You've got dead people registered. You've got people claiming addresses as, as homes that are actually P.O. boxes and UPS stores, you name it. People registered multiple times under variations of their own name at the same address. You know, any which way you can imagine that record-keeping system breaking down, it can and does. And California is a great example of that, but they're not alone. Here's the problem, though. You would approach them with that and say, like I said, your records are a mess. What are you going to do about it? And they would say, well, you know what, it's, they are a mess, uh, but people vote in person in our state and in our county. And whenever they come vote in person, they get to check in at the polling place, and they check their name on the list. And if they see something that's amiss there, like, hey, I got married, my name is different, look at that, uh, my dad is listed next to me in the registry, by the way, he's dead, can you make a notation? All those things can happen. And People get to go on and vote their regular ballot, and notations in the poll book are eventually turned over into list maintenance efforts in the following year. And so they'll say, look, yeah, this address may be old, and I might not know it as the registrar at the time. But whenever that voter comes and checks in under that file to, to cast their ballot in person, we'll fix it then. And I'll be working directly with the source of the new uh, address. No. Now, in 2020, you don't get to do that exercise. As Rumsfeld said, you go with the army that you have. You go with the list of addresses that you have, and you want proof that it doesn't work out for you. All you have to do is look at our research in Clark County, Nevada, in the Las Vegas metro. In the 2020 primaries in June, they sent mail ballots to everybody in that county. Over a million ballots in the mail. 223,000 of them came back bouncing off of wrong and old addresses. And half of those people, they had no reason to suspect that the addresses are bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is an important point for your listeners. A voter registration roll is essentially cut into two columns. You've got your active list, people where the county has no reason to suspect that their information is out of date, and that the person isn't alive. And then you have your inactive list, 
These are addresses that are bouncing mail, and no one's showing up to vote consistently over a period of years. And in Nevada, they sent mail to both sides of that registry. Mm -hmm. And of course, the latter side, the inactive side, was bouncing mail. They they knew that was going to happen. But the, half of the problem came from the active side, the side that they weren't suspecting anything was wrong. Absolutely. And it went to prove that even if you that obituary was never printed, that so-and-so died, and so you never suspected they were dead, they were still dead. You just weren't looking hard enough. And then you tried to send them a ballot, and it bounced undeliverable. Your lists were a mess. We're going to pick it up right there, Logan. Uh, We're going to pick it up right there. And uh, absolutely, there's a lot more to this story coming up on WGN Radio. We are speaking of research. We are talking to the Communication and Research Director for the Indianapolis-based Public Interest Legal Foundation and the dreadful result that we're going to have a vote by mail. And it's interesting. I was was busy saying no, no, as Logan was talking about what California told him. Because, you see, I mentioned this before on the air. When I was a resident in San Diego County and North County in Hidden Meadows, I uh, went to vote. And it was right in our little community center there. And I looked and there were nine people registered at my address on Gladstone Court. I lived alone. All right. So I said, who are these eight people? And the guy there said, well, you know, I don't know. Don't worry about it. I said, what do you mean? Don't worry about it. He said, well, they won't show up. I said, well, let me just ask you a question because they didn't ask for voter ID. What happens if they do show up? And he kind of looked at me blank me and he says, well, it's never happened, but if it did, we let them vote. So, Logan, that was the explanation I got from California in person. So I don't, I don't get this idea about notations. He never offered to make a notation on that roll about these eight other people. And uh, you're talking about Clark County here a moment ago, and I got a question about that, too. As you mentioned, it didn't surprise them about the inactives where the mail came back, but the actives surprised them. So here's the question there why did they mail ballots to inactives thank you for asking it so democratic attorneys uh and nonprofit groups there's a whole constellation of professional plaintiffs uh when it comes to election law that the democrats have in their stable and in essence they sued up and down the state of nevada uh and the, the demand was that essentially if you do not do this if you do not uh, give a, put a ballot in the mail to everyone. We'll consider that a violation of the Voting Rights Act. And in essence, say, like, if you do not, uh, put a ballot in the mail to everyone, then you, Nevada, are a racist state. That's essentially what they were saying. Right. And as soon as they level the accusation and then they do the press round and they, you know, do their dance on MSNBC and CNN, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, now it's time for settlement talks to make this go away. And the Clark County Commission not the Clark County Elections Office, but it was the Clark County Commission that was at the settlement table, and they were about to take the deal. And to put some pressure in the opposite way, the Clark County Elections Office, which is run by Democrats, actually said, but these are the pros here. They start going to the public and going into the courts and putting an affidavit saying, if you make us do this, we're going to bounce a ton of mail, waste a lot of money, and just cause a lot of confusion, just extra work. And they also pleaded with the county commission to not take this deal. They took this deal. Uh, so this was 
uh, brought on to get rid of a lawsuit filed by a man named Mark Elias. That name might ring a bell because he's considered, you know, the, Le- the LeBron James of the election law world for the Democratic Party side. Uh, if there's a lawsuit, his name is probably on it. Mm-hmm. He's leading the charge, and that was uh, to get him to go away. And they got what they wanted. They got ballots in the mail to everyone. The mail bounced right as expected. Oops, it was just more than we thought it would be. Yeah, this is uh, this is horrifying. And Mark from Aurora wants to join us, and he has a question I was about to ask. So, Mark, welcome to WGN Radio. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess I really end up having three questions. Question number one is: Let's say that Biden wins wins by a landslide. What would it take to convince Trump supporters that the election wasn't rigged? Let's say Trump has a decided victory. Will Trump supporters even feel it's necessary to check on the election? And my third question is: Biden. Biden promised to take down all attack ads as long as Trump was still ill. My question is, if the roles were reversed and Trump had been the healthy one and Biden had been the one who had the virus, would Trump have agreed to take attack ads down? Well, that, and that's all I've got. Okay, thanks for calling, Mark. The last part, of course, is irrelevant and partisan. But in terms of uh, uh, the two questions he had, putting them in a nonpartisan way, however this election comes out, will the other side have any reason to believe it's legit? You know, if history is any indicator, a Biden victory is going to be an easier pill to swallow than a Trump reelection. And all you have to do is just look at the drama of the last four or so years. Uh, and th- there's ways to look at this. So you might be hearing, and I'm sure you are, you're seeing uh, record numbers of absentee ballots. They're floating around. They're being voted, et cetera. But once you look carefully at the numbers in the math, yes, there is a lot of absentee balloting going on. It's more than we've ever seen in history uh, but we're also expecting to see uh, what, what looks like historic voter turnout in person, too. So not every state is forcing you to vote by mail. And even the states that are putting a mail ballot to you, even if uh, you don't want it and you're going to go vote in person, you still have that option to turn that ballot over. So it's going to come down to uh, where the victory and defeat came from and the means in which people voted. If Americans see that Trump lost in a landslide and a lot, a lot of people voted in person to boot, they're going to accept that victory uh, for Biden much easier. And I think the same is going to apply to in a Trump victory or a Biden victory. If we see expectations beat in terms of in-person voting, I think we're going to be able to move on as a country much faster uh, from this election. And that is why Public Interest Legal uh, is actually putting up billboards in various states around the country to say, look, vote in person. It is in your best interest to vote in person this year. Even if that ballot is going to you without being asked for, there is a way to turn it in and vote in person. In the best-case scenario where everybody's voting in person in terms of percentage-wise, the wide majority are voting in person, and the results are a landslide, I can see that 
being like as you as you say pretty much a fait accompli and it will not raise too many eyebrows really regardless of who wins if it shows up that way however however if it's very close what happens then it's going to be close let's let's not kid ourselves i I don't think there's going to be a landslide either way we're just too polarized if a landslide came I would be more cautious of a landslide (laughs) victory than a close one. Right. Uh, So here's what it's going to look like, though. There's going to be specific indicators that you've never paid attention to because you've never had to up until this election. Indicator number one, you start hearing about record numbers of provisional ballots being voted. Here's how this happens. Uh, State mails the ballot to you, and you either lost it, or you failed to follow state law in saying, forget this mail ballot thing, I'm going to go vote in person. So in Pennsylvania, if you get a mail ballot and you change your mind and you want to vote in person or you want to vote in person anyway, no matter what they send you, you have to go turn that ballot in and spoil it, cancel it like a check at the polling place before you can vote in person. If you do not have that ballot with you, if the dog ate it, if it never made it to you, whatever, you don't get to vote a regular ballot. You're going to vote provisional. Right. You see that number start to spike? That means that a lot of people, odds are, did not follow that process. And who knows how much of that is going to break down Republican or Democrat. I would suspect it's going to be pretty even. The other indicator to look for, apart from provisional voting, is their number of rejected ballots. Now, we are already on track to break national records for numbers of rejected absentee and mail ballots. Because if you look at what 2020 primaries produced in terms of rejected ballots, they're equal to the sum of the 2012 and the 2016 presidential elections, the November elections. That's how many ballots we've already rejected this year, just in the primaries. We don't know what the general elect number is going to be, but we're going to start finding out very soon. And whenever you start seeing spikes in rejects and provisional ballots, a whole new crop of lawsuits are going to start being filed. And that's what's going to drag us into the new year. It's going to be Florida times 50. Right. I would think that the result being lawsuits is almost a given uh both sides seem already willing to take this to the court there was even as you well know in the in the amy uh coney uh, barrett hearings there were questions about how would she vote on it well so there were people who obviously thought it was going to the supreme court so what do you think the likelihood is that this wouldn't be a major court challenge well it depends on how many fires there are i mean the, we all remember Florida in 2000 decided by the Supreme Court because it was just one state. And the question uh, was pretty straightforward. Should we be count- recounting ballots in two, di- two different ways in two different counties, so to speak? Uh, and that was the first part of the debate in Bush v. Gore. So if you have uh, an issue where in, a, in the same state, let's say upstate and downstate Illinois, or east and west in Pennsylvania, if you get into a recount scenario and procedures start to diverge from each other, that's how you get a court case with a federal tie to it that goes all the way up the flagpole. 
But what I suspect we're going to see more of are just a lot of smaller court cases. And they're going to be things like the Republicans in County X are filing a lawsuit against the county government because their observers are not allowed to watch the absentee ballot collection and counting process. Uh, Or a state like Nevada that is reducing the number of available polling places statewide, 100 as opposed to 700, what they usually offer. And ballot, and then polling places break down, lines start snaking around blocks, and time is ticking out before you can actually vote. You're going to see lawsuits to extend the operating hours of polling places. And what's going to make things totally weird and so fitting for 2020, Democrats used to bring those kinds of cases in prior years. Now Republicans are going to be doing it in, as opposed to Democrats because Democrats are going to be filing lawsuits to get their absentee ballots counted the way they want to. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of role reversals. You're going to see a lot of smaller lawsuits. And if you want to see where a Supreme Court, essentially if you want a Supreme Court case like you saw in Florida in 2000, you're essentially going to need another scenario like that where the Electoral College hangs in the balance and there is a question of equal protection as it goes to counting votes. Fascinating. Logan Churchwell is with us. We're talking about this election, obviously. I know we've got a debate tomorrow night. That's interesting as well. But what's really interesting is how these votes are going to be counted and who's going to vote and how they're going to vote. And you can bet that that is the single biggest issue facing us. 888-876-5593-8888. Raleigh on WGN Radio. We don't have many moments left, so I won't dwell on that. I will talk with Logan Churchwell and also Doc from Missouri wants to get in here. And you mentioned Florida, and I'm curious about that because, of course, a few years later, Minnesota had an interesting thing in a Senate race, and it turned out that most of their precincts counted things differently, and that seemed to get a pass. So is that the way that court case was decided? Well, the big issue there was the number of felons that voted. Uh, Uh. In essence, Minnesota law said that if you are a felon and you vote, but you do not know that you're not supposed to vote, then you essentially get a pass. And enough of those folks, those felons illegally voted, that made the difference in winning and losing, that gave us Al Franken. And Al Franken famously gave us that critical vote to get Obamacare passed, unfortunately. Uh, But, of course, you know, we all know how the rest goes going down in Me Too history. So I, I guess there's some justice there. I guess. But I was under the impression that uh, that different counties or different precincts were handling that issue in different ways, that it wasn't that it wasn't uniform. And uh, maybe, maybe that wasn't the issue. But in the Florida case, did it resolve that they could count it differently in different counties or did it have to be uniform? No, it had to be uniform. And that's why Bush won. That's what stopped the recount. Okay. Uh, so. And there's some important tips to take here. If we get about Florida for a minute, let's talk recounts very briefly. You're going, if we get into a recount scenario, whether it's locally or it becomes a national story, who knows? Maybe there's multiple ones. I hope not. You're going to hear a lot of things start to happen, such as, oh, look at that. The vote totals kept changing. <laughs> you know, more votes went in this column and shrank from that column. And that's normal. You might even hear uh, what sounds like, very scary developments. We found a box of votes and we threw them into the recount too. That is the reason we have a recount is so we can correct the errors 
from the past uh, count. So if you start to see a bunch of recounts occurring, Uh-oh. usually that means it's just a close election. Uh, and, and the law says we've got to count if, if it's too close to call. Um, but yeah, you, you just once recounts start, you have to keep a cool head uh, because you're going to start hearing things that freak you out. And there's usually a benign answer for them. It's just that our election system can get wonky. And if you don't study it every single day, like yeah. very few people do, and I don't blame them, uh, you, the, the terminology can throw you and make you yeah. nervous. But usually there's a good explanation as to what's going on. And then there's LBJ in 1949. But we've got about a minute left. Doc in Missouri, welcome to WGN. Real quickly. Hey, Riley. Hey, Doc. Uh, well, I appreciate you having these guests and these conversations. I have a question specifically about the votes that will be counted, mail-in votes, after election night. The farthest I've heard is like nine days. Are we going to have any election results on election night that mean anything? And are there certain swing states, like I think Philadelphia is one that they're going to have to take ballots for three days. Are there certain states we have to watch extra closely? Thank you. Thanks for calling. Okay, go for it. Yes, I would watch closely Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Those are the ones. Uh, that have the deadlines and that seem to have administrative rule changes happening with respect to deadlines and how ballots are received in the mail, uh, particularly uh, in Virginia, which is still in its respects uh, a swing state. So with regard to election night, chances that we'll actually get a verdict? I'd give you less than half chance, honestly. (laughs) Uh, you, You have... States like Michigan and Pennsylvania, Virginia to a lesser extent, uh, they're going to drag it on. Florida's going to have a lot of mail votes, but Florida's good at having lots of mail votes. Uh, that's just part of life there. Mm. And th- those votes have to get down from New York somehow. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Nevada might keep us up a bit late, but they always do. Nobody cares about California anyway. Uh, so essentially, the further you go west on the map, the less amount of worry you have to have for mail ballots slowing anything down uh, unless there's a huge spike in phoenix i keep an eye there yeah but overall you got to worry about the east coast and the rust belt they're the ones that are going to slow down uh, election night logan churchwell thank you for what you do thank you for keeping an eye on this i'm sure we'll be talking again thanks for joining us on wgn thank you for having me